Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.34 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 24th day of July, 2023. This is episode 761 of Bitcoin and. So, yeah, just woke up Monday, right? Everything's falling apart. (laughs) That's the way it seems, but that's not what it really is, right? It's just another Monday. All right, so yeah, we got price depression in Bitcoin. We got altcoins coming up. I told you, I told you, I told you to be aware that this alt season is going to look very different than the previous alt seasons. It's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. You didn't think it could be worse. I honestly, for a long time, I was like, okay, I think I think we're over that hump. I think we're done with the alt season bullshit. No, no, I was, I was wrong. I didn't get my mental shit together until, you know, like last week, maybe, you know, the end of the week before when I realized, no, 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 you've got at least one more alt season that you're going to have to deal with. We're going to get into that one. Uh, but what is alt season being fueled by right now? Well, it's going, it, I'm okay. Being fueled. Fueling up is what I should say. We got alt season out on the tarmac. It's out on the on the platform at Cape Canaveral. It's fixing to take off, and it's being fueled. Right, the vessel is being fueled as we speak. The steam of the white dragon is spilling down the sides, and it's a lovely day at Cape Canaveral. And all of the crowds of of potential wannabe shitcoiners are gathered around to see the launch of yet another freaking alt season. All right, that's where we're at. So what's the fuel? Well, Bitcoin whales are pumping Bitcoin back into exchanges. We've hit a one-year high. Let's get into it. I know you don't want to, right? I, I get it. You don't want bad news. I'm, the, I'm like the weather guy. I'm not saying that it's good or bad that a tornado is about to hit. No, no, no. I'm just telling you where the fucking thing is. So... Don't don't blame the weather guy, right? This is just what's going on. You need to know this shit so that you can figure out how to protect yourself, how to protect the people that you love. And I highly recommend that you get to them sooner rather than later. Coin Telegraph, William Suberg, Bitcoin whale exchange inflows share hits a one year high, which is over forty percent. Oh boy. That's the fuel, ladies and gentlemen. That is the fuel. Bitcoin whale buying and selling in 2023 is mostly from speculative investors, new data reveals. In the latest edition of its weekly newsletter, The Week on Chain, analytics firm Glassnode shows that contrary to popular belief, 
opportunistic entities are the most active whales. Since BTC price action returned to 30000 a shift has taken place amongst Bitcoin traders. Assholes. As Glassnode shows, so-called short-term huddlers, investors holding coins for a maximum of 155 days, lettuce hands, have become significantly more common. And as it turns out, the largest volume investor cohort, the whales, is also composed of a large number of short-term hodlers. Short-term hodler dominance across exchange flows has exploded to 82%, which is now drastically above the long-term range over the last five years, typically 55 to 65%. Quote, from this... We can establish a case that much of the recent trading activity is driven by whales, active within the 2023 market and thus classified as short-term holders. Oh, you assholes. Just assholes. Interest in trading short-term time frame moves on BTC-USD pair was already evident before May. Since the FTX meltdown in late 2022, speculators have been increasingly eager to tap volatility both up and down. The results have been mixed. Realized profits and losses have routinely spiked in line with volatile price moves. Quote, if we look at the degree of profit and loss realized by short-term holder volume flowing into exchanges, it becomes evident that these newer investors are trading local market conditions. Glass node continues, quote, each rally and correction since the FTX fallout has seen a 10,000 BTC uptick in short-term holder profit or loss, respectively. Closer to the present, whales have ramped up exchange activity at one point in July, accounting for 41% of total inflows. Quote, analysis of the whale net flow to exchanges can be used as a proxy for their influence on the supply and demand balance Quote, the week to exchange, or sorry, excuse me, whale to exchange net flows have tended to oscillate between 5,000 BTC per day over the last five years. However, throughout June and July of this year, whale inflows have sustained an elevated inflow bias of between four and 6.5 thousand BTC per day. As Cointelegraph reported, whales are not the only forces at work when it comes to BTC sales. Mining pool Poolin hit the headlines with its transactions destined for Binance, while miners potentially hedging profits also contributed to sell-side activity. Okay, so that's one of the issues that's going on here, is that we've got short-term, we've got whales that are turning out to be short-term, not long-term, not medium-term, but short-term holders. These guys don't really give a shit about Bitcoin. They don't really care about decentralized anything. They're in it for the money, right? That, that's what has driven us to find Bitcoin and discover it in the first place is that same mentality, right? Derivative products of derivative products in the legacy financial markets for the last couple of decades, or actually, no, a couple of handfuls of decades, like 70, 80 years, right? 90 years has driven us to the point where nobody knows what anything actually costs and nobody knows what a dollar actually buys, right? And then all of a sudden, 2008, 2009, Bitcoin, right? It's going to solve everything. But it, it, Bitcoin fixes a lot of things, but it, what it doesn't fix is human greed. It doesn't fix neglect of our fellow man 
of their fellow man. It doesn't do that. It can't do that. It can try. We can hope that it does, but it really doesn't. Because human nature overpowers damn near everything. Oh, does that mean that Bitcoin's going to die? No, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if if we misplace our values and say that just just by holding Bitcoin, that automatically Bitcoin's going to fix everything, then we're fooling ourselves because it's more than that. It's way more than that. And I could give you a list of what we could be doing, but I won't because it would turn out that it would only be a list of what I could be doing. And I'm doing this. I'm bringing you the news Monday through Friday on the Bitcoin and podcast. That's that's how I've selected to, I don't know, to inject myself, to bring some kind of proof of work to the system. And one guy can't do everything. And 10 guys can do 10 different things, but certainly can't do everything. It's going to take all of us, right? But how do you combat, how do you combat human greed? That's been ingrained in the species for, I don't know, millennia, thousands of years. I mean, think of it this way. We were actually pretty good Joes up until about 15,000 years ago. What happened? Agriculture, plowing fields, irrigation, planting seeds, and staying in the same place, not moving around as nomadic peoples. That was 15,000 years ago, and everything since has gone downhill fucking faster than a duck in winter, right? From bullshit money to destroying soils, which in turn destroys the civilizations that sit upon that soil. You, I mean, the list of dead bodies of massive civilizations with massive populations is long. And it all boils down to them destroying their soil. They made their soil unable to function. They took its functionality away. What does that sound like? Sounds like what we've done to money. We just can't stop destroying things that are good ideas or have excellent functionality. We can't do it. Humans are greedy. It's a very few humans that will eschew greed to do something bigger something better, something that they can be proud of. It seems to me that the majority of humans at this point really don't give a shit. And while that's sad, it presents us with an opportunity, an opportunity to continue fighting for what we believe is right. The fight's worth it. Nobody knows what happens after you die. Personally, I believe that something of our consciousness lives on. And the reason is because just like energy cannot be created nor destroyed in this universe as a fundamental fact of physics, neither can pattern. I don't believe for a second that if you throw a rock into a lake, that that pattern of circlets that come out of that rock don't in some way, shape, form, fashion, or another embed itself indelibly on that body of water the sand that's underneath it, the mud, everything. And I don't ask me how that works. I'm just saying that when you throw patterned energy into something, it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go poof. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't wash with the rest of what I know about how the universe functions. Wave functions, probabilities, energy, how it flows, how it transmits. I, it just None of that washes. So I believe 
that there is something after death. I want, I want to be able to see that, and I want to be able to not carry with me the knowledge that I screwed over hundreds of thousands of people simply because I wanted a fucking yacht. Now, let's move on to this one. <clears throat> Elon Musk rebrands Twitter to X, spurring scores of wannabe tokens. I'm telling you, this is now we're going to talk about the second part of what's fueling fucking alt season. Right? We haven't, uh, be, before the, all the rest of the alt season, there was nobody like an Elon Musk spouting bullshit about a shit coin. But now there is, and Sharwa Mala from Coindesk tells us all about it. Several tokens branded X popped up on decentralized exchanges overnight as Elon Musk owned Twitter started dumping its iconic Bluebird logo for an X symbol. Musk first tweeted about the forthcoming change over the weekend. Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino confirmed the rebranding on Sunday. Quote, X is the future state of unlimited interactivity centered on audio, video, messaging, banking, and payments, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities, Yaccarino said. Powered by AI, X will connect us all in ways we're just beginning to imagine. Oh boy, that's just going to be a hell of a cakewalk in it. In April of 2023, when Musk merged Twitter into X Corp, he also registered X.AI Corp as an artificial intelligence startup. The Twitter chief then establishes XAI, his own AI company, to, quote, understand the universe, whatever the hell that means. Scores of X tokens have now appeared on multiple blockchain networks. These include new tokens claiming to have a proper roadmap for the coming months, as well as tokens that are seemingly pump and dump schemes. One of them jumped as much as 1,200%. Read it again. One of them jumped as much as 1,200% over 24 hours, even though its project was shuttered back in May. You're talking about a shit coin that jumped 1,200% in price. The project's done. It's closed. It's, it's over. It's ended. What does this tell you about the people that are buying this thing? Warn your friends and family before it's too late. All right. <laughs> Suge- Low-cap traders were buying just about anything branded X, apparently, in an effort to eke out a tiny profit. Newer tokens were issued by opportunistic developers over the weekend following Musk's tweets. One called AI slash X and with a logo identical to Musk's space technology company SpaceX jumped tenfold. Another named DeuceX after a Musk tweet spiked 2600%. Professional traders told Coindesk that such euphoria exists because major tokens such as Bitcoin and Ether are enduring periods of low volatility forcing some market participants to punt on meme coins and low cap coins. Quote, meme coins are huge parts of the crypto trading landscape. Whether we like it or not, James Woe, founder at Crypto Fund DFG, told Coindesk, quote, While the biggest currencies like Bitcoin and Ether have very low volatility, it's only natural that traders will look for opportunities elsewhere. Meme trading is a risky way to try to seek excessive return, but when it pans out, the upside can be huge. So even in a bear market, some of the meme coins will have large upswings, even if it's just short term, he said. All right, so picking up pennies in front of a moving locomotive coming in your direction is not the way to get rich. It's a good way to get dead. Give, I'll, I'll tell you that. But we are right at the event horizon of the toilet bowl black hole of alt season. I'm not kidding. 
You need to understand where this is going. I actually think that this alt season is going to not only eclipse the 2016-2017 bullshit, it's going to make it look like a, a kindergarten. This one, this one is going to wreck so many people, it's not even going to be funny. That's going to have a negative impact on Bitcoin. It's going to give regulators way more fuel than they ever thought possible to be able to do their regulatory thing and make it harder for people to actually be able to not only find what good money is, but be able to actually get some Bitcoin. Please, for the love of God, reach out to your family and friends. If they've ever even asked you a question one time about Bitcoin, I guarantee you they are watching this and they are just itching to pull a trigger that they don't want to pull. Be the phone call that takes the gun out of their mouth. Because that's what this this is. This is just fucking suicide, right? I know I sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm just, I get exasperated about this kind of shit because it's one of these things where it's how many times do you have to get burned? And I don't, I'm, I'm coming up with like way over 10 at this point. And now we might be looking at 20, 40, 50, 100. How many times does people have do people have to get burned before they before they understand this shit? Because now, 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 we got WorldCoin. Yeah, we had WorldCoin. What's the difference? Well, apparently WorldCoin has now officially launched. Gareth Jenkinson, Coin Telegraph, WorldCoin launch divides opinions. Crypto community has its say. The launch of the blockchain-based digital passport platform WorldCoin has polarized the cryptocurrency community with people raising questions about its centralization, privacy, and security. Yeah, there's no privacy, there's no security, and it's all centralized. WorldCoin released its token WLD July the 24th with major exchanges such as Binance announcing support. Of course they did. The project consists of World ID, a privacy-preserving digital identity, and WLD, which users receive upon creating a wallet. To join the ecosystem, users must provide a scan of their iris through one of WorldCoin's specialized orb hardware devices. This step provides proof of personhood that is cryptographically secured and used as a world ID. Founders Alex Blania and Sam Altman wrote in a letter upon the project's launch, quote, This lets you prove you're a real person online while remaining completely private, end quote. Yeah, don't believe that. The global digital passport is set to be stored locally on users' mobile devices and used to prove their identity in a privacy-centric manner. World IDs will use zero-knowledge proofs to protect the underlying data, including biometric, know-your-customer, and anti-money laundering data. WorldCoin will also enable users to reserve their respective IDs with a phone number in select countries with an iris scan required to complete the process and receive a World ID. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin was among a large number of industry figures to comment on the launch of WorldCoin in a lengthy blog post, which was unpacked by Cointelegraph, Buterin delves into the technicalities of proof of personhood, blockchain protocols, and the potential benefits and pitfalls of projects blazing a trail for the use case. Buterin highlighted being able to prove human identity and be used to distribute universal basic income in the future as key raison d'etre. For proof of personhood protocols, quote, WorldCoin is unique 
in that it relies on highly sophisticated biometrics scanning each user's iris using a piece of specialized hardware called the orb, end quote. As Buterin explains, WorldCoin orbs are set to be distributed around the world to allow users to create their respective digital IDs. He also highlights privacy and security concerns around the orb, design issues regarding its native token, and some ethical concerns around whether biometrics are a good idea at all. Quote, Risks include unavoidable privacy leaks, further erosion of people's ability to navigate the Internet anonymously, coercion by authoritarian governments, and the potential impossibility of being secure at the same time as being decentralized, end quote. Twitter co-founder and Bitcoin proponent Jack Dorsey had one word to describe WorldCoin's attempt at global scale alignment. Cute. Bitcoin advocate Anita Posh also suggested that the centralized nature of the WorldCoin project and the amount of data it manages could be a potential point of failure. She says, a global database of human IDs issued after an eye scan paid for with useless WorldCoin token connected with all financial transaction data of every individual managed by a centralized nonprofit collecting sensitive data for KYCAML. What could go wrong? ETHUB co-founder Anthony Sassano offered food for thought, suggesting that the likes of bankrupt FTX and Three Arrows Capital could refund all creators with the appreciation of their early-stage investments in WorldCoin. eToro founder Yanni Asi, Asasi? Asi, I'll, get, I'll go with Asia, implied that WorldCoin emulates his own good dollar digital universal basic income platform. According to WorldCoin's white paper, the protocol was initially deployed on Polygon in its beta phase, with the current version running on the Ethereum mainnet using a scalable batching architecture through Layer 2 protocol optimism. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo! The project has over 2 million users enrolled. WorldCoin, we've talked about it, and it's been out for a while. Right, WorldCoin's been a thing for a while. Let that sink in. And that's the way that you do hype. You keep it in the news. You let it simmer on the back burner for a couple of years. And then on a Monday at the same day that Elon Musk rebrands Twitter to X and by, oh my God, he didn't even use, he didn't even use, uh, like he didn't even reach out to a bunch of artists for a new logo. No, he just took the, the bluebird off and put a Unicode ASCII character X in its place with a little globe, you know, a little glow behind it. That's it. That's all he did. Didn't even work, not even proof of work. But I digress about Twitter. This is about WorldCoin. And I'm telling you, this is how you start alt season, right? This is the... This is what I'm talking about. This is what I was talking about last week. This is what I was talking about at the end of the week before. Alt season is coming. And this one's going to be, they're all grotesque. But grotesque is the only word that I have in my vocabulary right now to describe this fucking abomination. Right? There are going to be so many people that get poor. It's going to be like, the poor, the get poor to get rich ratio is going to look something like this. A million poor people to 10. Okay, so we'll say what? A hundred, yeah, a hundred thousand poor people to one guy that got rich. And where did, how did he get rich? 
Well, he took all the he he took the money that made the hundred thousand poor. Is that who you want to be? Is, because the money's got to come from somewhere. In this particular case, they can't run printers fast enough, so it's going to be an exchange of wealth from a lot of people that can't afford to lose anything more to a very few people that honestly could definitely blink and not feel pain when they buy their next yacht already, and now they're going to get more money. I'm not against capitalism, but that's not capitalism. There's no work there. It's just lying to people and feeding on their fear like a leech, like a, like a, I don't know, like a psychic vampire. And just sucking all the goodwill that's left in the world and funneling it to people that are just really bad people. Well, Sam Altman is a terrible person. Elon Musk, he pretends like he thinks about free speech and he wants to enable people to do whatever. I don't believe that for a second. I don't I don't think he's a good person. I really don't. Uh, you believe what you want. But all of the shit coiners that are out there, and there are many of them, have one purpose in mind, and that is to separate you from your Bitcoin, and their second purpose is to separate you from whatever fiat you have left. And it's going to work. That's the problem. There's no amount of warning that I can put out on this show that will reverberate strong enough, long enough, into the farthest reaches of the planet that will protect the majority of people. They're going to get burned. Again. Again. Please just don't let it be your friends and your family, okay? Uh, Let's do... Hold on for a sec. Yeah, sorry about that. I got a a little ahead of myself and got distracted. You know me. Get distracted. Shiny thing happened. Get distracted. All right. The Emerging Frontier. How Bitcoin adoption is growing where it's needed most. Ben Caselin for Bitcoin Magazine. As we navigate the uncharted waters of the digital revolution, Bitcoin is increasingly finding, sorry, Bitcoin is increasingly finding its footing in economies grappling with currency crises. Countries such as Turkey, Lebanon, Nigeria, and Argentina are already seeing Bitcoin reach or start to approximate approximate new all-time price highs signaling a shift in wealth preservation and financial sovereignty. The trust or thrust behind this trend is multifold, encompassing inflationary pressures, the global dominance of the U.S. dollar, and the unique attributes of Bitcoin. A quick Google search for Bitcoin against so-called weaker currencies in emerging markets over a five-year time horizon paints a clear picture. And basically, it's a basket of currencies and the price of Bitcoin is going up against all of it. So there you go. That's the chart. I have shared these observations before in a Twitter thread and discussions on Elon Musk's platform have been lively on the subject. Some folks understandably see this as bullish and exciting, but it's important to realize that such extreme price action essentially stems from deep-seated currency failures and often involves anxious suffering for people on the ground. Others point out that these failing currencies aren't really a benchmark for anything substantial, but such thinking only betrays hubris. It's good to remind ourselves that some 85% of the world's population lives in the emerging markets, far from peripheral. The reality in these countries is the dominant experience and constitutes the mainstream. To comprehend the Bitcoin phenomenon in these emerging markets, we must first understand the concept of weaker currencies. National currencies, often characterized 
by high volatility, recurring devaluations, and significant inflation rates. Such susceptibility is generally rooted in unstable domestic fiscal policies, including excessive government borrowing and overproduction of the money supply. However, the consequences of such monetary policy aren't contained within national borders. They ripple across the global socioeconomic landscape, including in the form of migration and exacerbating inequalities. Inflation erodes the value of money, diminishing purchasing power and fostering economic uncertainty. When combined with external factors such as the implications of the U.S. dollar's status as the global reserve currency, the impact is even more profound. Despite increasingly loud objections from across the world with ideas of a BRICS currency floating around, the U.S. dollar is still the world's primary reserve currency and holds significant sway over global economic stability. The greenback's dominance means that many emerging markets are inherently linked to the United States economy. When the U.S. changes its interest rates, engages in quantitative easing, or when Jerome Powell initiates another rate hike, the ripple effects are felt far and wide. Emerging markets may experience outflows of capital, instability, and increased borrowing cost, intensifying economic challenges on the ground. Amid these complexities, Bitcoin has gained significant momentum. The reasons? It offers an escape hatch from economic volatility and a new way to store value. The case of Venezuela, where Bitcoin adoption has been making headlines for years now, offers a vivid illustration. Hyperinflation has rendered the Venezuelan Boulevard virtually worthless, pushing its citizen towards Bitcoin as well as a USD peg stablecoin for everyday transactions and wealth preservation. However, the value of Bitcoin extends beyond its role as an inflation hedge. Its permissionless and peer-to-peer nature is also a game-changer. Bitcoin is decentralized and requires no intermediary for transactions, making it accessible to anyone, anywhere, at any time. This characteristic is particularly appealing in regions where banking services are limited or non-existent, fostering financial inclusion. For migrant workers sending remittances back home, Bitcoin, using the Lightning Network, can make the process faster, cheaper, and more efficient. It bypasses traditional banking systems and remittance service providers which often charge exorbitant fees and are played by slow transaction times. The use of Bitcoin for remittances can stimulate economic activity in these emerging markets, contributing to growth and development. The rising acceptance of Bitcoin in emerging economies serves as a testament to its potential to transform weak currency environments and create more resilient people-centered financial ecosystems. These trends point to an interesting paradox. While developed economies grapple with the question of Bitcoin's role, in part driven by a speculative bias born from the luxury of excess capital, people in emerging markets are already embracing its potential to redefine their economic landscapes precisely for the reason it was created in the first damn place. Nonetheless, the journey of Bitcoin in these emerging markets is just beginning. Challenges remain, including those around regulatory uncertainty, digital literacy, and technological infrastructure. But if anything, the surge of Bitcoin in these economies signifies that when faced with adversity, the innovation pioneered by Bitcoin has the potential to chart new pathways to prosperity. In essence, Bitcoin's rising influence in emerging economies underlines its versatility, not just as a speculative asset, but as a tool for financial empowerment and stability. The interplay between inflation, the U.S. dollar's global dominance, and Bitcoin's attributes paints a compelling narrative of how the global economy's future may be reshaped by the digital currency revolution.
we always forget, especially when we wake up on a Monday and we've got a 2.5% price drop in Bitcoin, that the West is not the entirety of the globe. It's not. Like the article said, 85% of the world is emerging markets. 85% of the world is emerging markets. 85% of the world is in emerging markets. And the people that live there far outnumber the people in the West. That's where the true hope for all of this lies. It's not in the West. It's not in a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF or a Van Eck ETF for that matter or any of the other ones, right? That's all Western bullshit. The real future for the planet is in the 85%. That's the mainstream. That's the mainstream, not us. When you go to Wells Fargo and you do a transaction over the counter, Right, and you walk out with, I don't know, whatever it is that you did and, and you enact something. Yeah, welcome to the 15% of the world, dude. That's 15%. Does that sound mainstream? That's not mainstream. That's not mainstream. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you right now. And speaking of the Bitcoin ETFs, let's name them so you understand what's on the table at the SEC. Decrypt, and this is put together by the Decrypt staff, so a whole bunch of people wrote it. These are the high-profile spot Bitcoin ETF applications currently in play. Number one, BlackRock. On June 15th, the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, with over $9 trillion in assets under management as of Q1 of 2023, shocked the TradFi world when it filed an application for a Bitcoin spot ETF. Okay, we knew about that one. Number two, Wisdom Tree. New York-based asset manager WisdomTree already has experience of running a Bitcoin ETF. It launched one on Switzerland's SIX stock exchange back in 2019. It joins the ranks of U.S. Bitcoin ETF hopefuls in March of 2021, filing an S1 with the SEC that proposed listing shares in the WisdomTree Bitcoin Trust on the CBOE BZX exchange under the ticker BTCW. Number three. Invesco Galaxy Bitcoin ETF. On September 22, 2021, Galaxy Digital and Invesco filed a joint Bitcoin ETF called the Invesco Galaxy Bitcoin ETF. So there's the Invesco one. Number four, Valkyrie Investments. And they filed for a Bitcoin ETF back in January of 2021. Number five, ARK Invest. Uh, June 2021, they put in its application to the SEC for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Van Eck, one of the earliest Bitcoin ETF applicants. Its first stab at a Bitcoin ETF, the Van Eck Solid X Bitcoin Trust in partnership with Solid X, goes all the way back to 2018. Number seven, Fidelity slash Wise Origin. March of 2021, that's when Fidelity and Wise Origin Bitcoin Trust was put on the table at the SEC. And that's it. We got seven major players all vying for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Some of these guys going back to 2018. Now, all these things are refiled and almost all of them, if not every single one, directly lifted the language from the BlackRock ETF filing that lists Coinbase as its 
surveillance. Uh, it really is. That's what it's called. It's like a surveillance agreement, right? So all these guys have put in a rock solid surveillance agreement. I don't know if they're all with Coinbase, but many of them are. But it's the surveillance agreement language. They lifted it directly from BlackRock because they knew BlackRock knows what the hell they're doing. Even though all these guys know what they're doing, they're just like, fuck it. We'll just copy what BlackRock's doing and, and, and get this shit in because if they approve BlackRock's ETF and the majority of the reasoning behind approving a BlackRock ETF is because of that surveillance agreement with Coinbase then it's going to, they're going to be hard-pressed to deny any of the other six applicants when they have the same language for surveillance. So, we'll again, we'll have to wait and see. But please trust me, a Bitcoin spot ETF is not the golden bullet or silver bullet or Bitcoin bullet that we all, or orange bullet that we all want it to be. That's not it. Because that services how much of the world? 15%. The other 85% of the people of this world are waiting for something else to happen because they can't take part of the 15% of the world that is the legacy financial doomsday machine. Let's run the numbers. Whoop de doo, Brent Norsey back up above eighty, which is a psychological uh oh it's one of those psych- psychological lines in the sand that when people see it go above, like the thirty thousand dollar mark for Bitcoin that we've been having to contend with lately. Eighty, that's the oil markets. That's the psychological factor in the oil market. So what's going on with the rest of it? Well, we got West Texas intermediate up two and a third to seventy eight eighty eight. Brent Norsey is up 2.1 to 82.77. Natural gas, however, dipping two-thirds of a point to $2.69 a thousand. Gasoline, however, going to have fun this summer. 3.72% to the upside, $2.90 a gallon. And even then, good luck finding that price at a pump. Uh, gold is down a third of a point to six no nineteen sixty and thirty cents. Silver is down one point two. Platinum is down a quarter. Copper making gains almost a point to the high side, and palladium is down almost a full point. Ag is almost fully in the green with some major movers today, including corn five point eight three percent to the upside makes it the biggest winner today. Biggest loser is lumber point seven three to the downside. Looks like I got live cattle down 0.87. Lean hogs taking a dump, 1.87% down. And feeder cattle is 1.02% to the downside as well. Dow up two-thirds of a point. S&P up uh, two-thirds of a point. NASDAQ is up a third of a point. And the S&P mini is up a third of a point. Real money taking a beating, 29073 and $0.26. I got uh, 0.3 BTC uh, uh, as an average transaction value. And, oh my God, nine United States pennies is the median transaction value for Bitcoin as of this time. Block times are low, nine minutes, 36 seconds. 0.18 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 26.8. Wow, that's pretty high. Taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 4.59% increase in hash rate, we are at 393.933 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is 7.4 United States pennies. That's Dogecoin. 
Right? That's the canary in the coal mine. And I selected Dogecoin not only because it is the one of the oldest shit coins that there is, but right and has been and is still right now and probably will be in the future Elon Musk's favorite shit coin of all time. Dogecoin tells you what the hell's going on in the shit coin market. I expect that number to actually increase. Does that mean that I'm suggesting that you go buy Dogecoin? No, you will not time the market. I know I won't time the market. Sure, I guess if if you think you can do that shit and get away with it and not lose your ass, well, you go right the fuck ahead. I'm going to sit right over here and stay humble and stack sats. I don't want to have nothing to do with this bullshit. I hope you don't either. But again, for the probably the eighth time already this show, please, please, please call your family and friends, especially the ones that have ever asked you a, if they've asked you even just a single question about Bitcoin in 2017 and they've never asked you anything about it again, that person is looking at alt season and they're getting greedy. They're starting to twiddle their thumbs a little bit. Their trigger fingers getting a little itchy. I guarantee it. Spines tingling, hackles on the back of their neck starting to hang up. And the worst part, they're starting to drool. I guarantee you. That cousin you talked to in 2017 on Facebook that was asking you a question about Bitcoin, that same person that hasn't asked you shit about it since is looking at Dogecoin and the world coin and Alta Vista coin and whatever other coin, I guarantee you they're looking at it right now. Reach out to them first. Warn them because this shit just gets bad. Now we've got a 564.3% or percent, $564.3 billion market cap. That's 4.34% of gold's market cap. You can get 15 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin of which there are 19 million. 437,874 and a third of and 4,936 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at around $143 million running over 16,375 nodes that we see and 68,876 payment channels that we know about. 70.2% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempool, not too bad. Not terrible. Not at all. About 101, 102 blocks carrying 265,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with transactions of high priority valued at 32 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority transactions going for 15. Anything... Excuse me, anything under three and a third Satoshi per V-byte are being purged from mempools around the world. I am no longer in the top 10 even after a 21,000 Satoshi boost by Fatoshi, which means that all the rest of the uh, podcasters are, well, they're wiping the floor with my ass, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. But I guess I got to ask you, once again, I'm asking, get me back into the top 10 somehow. Let's get this done because I'm like, I'm, I think I'm in the, I think I'm like number 20, honestly. Sucks, dude. Anyway, from FTX Bunker of Doom, episode 70, 760, Fatoshi with 21,000 says first. Uh, O2ZX with 4321 says PV, decent coffee, sunshine, and your dulcet tones. Posting a question here from DB or 4DB from Jimmy Hash. What's your view on carbon's role in our anthropogenic and natural ecosystem? Do you do we need to cap that shit or is it 100% FUD? 
asking you because well over the years I've come to respect your opinion. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, he also says, uh, dang, while typing, typing was typing while listening, we'll try Swarmster. If you weren't listening to that show, Swarmster is where you can ask the Nostra community questions just like this. It, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's uh, Swarmster. Oh, I had it yesterday. Damn it. I don't know the I don't know the uh, dot extension, so I'll just go buy it. He also says, I don't know if you want to answer that on the show. Just thinking how that might look with commodification of ASICs and distribution of mining pools, energy generation market. Yeah, sure, I'll answer it. Most of the CO two stuff is FUD. That's my opinion. I can't prove it. You know, I'm not a client scientist, but then again, neither are client scientists because they're all captured. It seems like nobody's really able to tell the truth because if they do if they even look like they're going to, you know, say something against the global narrative of, you know, humans killing the planet, they're going to get the funding cut. And that means they got to fire all their uh, lab staff. Nobody wants to do that. So they're captured. Okay. So that said, <clears throat> carbon is my favorite element on the periodic table. Without it, we're all dead. All right. CO2 in the atmosphere. Well, look, I'm just re- I'm reading a, uh, rereading a book about uh, biochar. And they were talking about the mini ice age that happened between <clears throat> 1500 and 1750, uh, common era, <clears throat> also known as ante dominum, um, after death. Um, it, okay, here's what happened. There's a bunch of people in the Amazon forest before Europeans came. <clears throat> there was a bunch of people like a lot more people than than we could have even possibly imagined all along the Amazon River Basin. And they were basically shitting into pots and covering it with charcoal to keep the smell down. And then when the pots got full, because uh, they were pretty good, you know, pretty good with clay, they just threw the whole pot, you know, in a pit, all, you know, the entire village until that pit got full. And so there was a bunch of charcoal. I mean, lots of charcoal, lots of human biology because of the fecal matter. They also burned a whole bunch of stuff on top of it. There was a lot of carbon. And they were able to plant all kinds of food stocks in there that the native soils of the Amazon would not support. They're just, there's just not enough biology. There, well, there's a lot of biology. That's actually the problem, is that it cycles too fast, uh, nutrients. So they're not really available for, for the, the plants other than the trees that are already growing that have these massive networks. And honestly, that's why we didn't think there was a lot of people in the Amazon basin, because just looking at the soil profile all in Brazil, it's all shit. It's shitty soil. You can't grow food on it. It's almost fucking impossible because it's just nutrient deficient. And that's just the way rainforests are. Jungles. It doesn't matter if it's in Brazil. It could be in fucking Vietnam. It's a shitty soil. It's it's too biologically active. And you want biology, but when you get so much of it and it's recycling so little nutrients, there's not enough to be able to grow food for humans. These guys, over the centuries that they were in the Amazon basin, they figured it out. And they were able to plant more food than they knew what to fucking do with. Okay? So their populations exploded. There are millions of people in the Amazon basin. Europeans find them. And what happens? You get smallpox, you get horsepox, you got cowpox, you got, you know, flus and influenzas and, you know, I don't know, minor colds for us kill somebody that's never, whose immune system has never been challenged with it. And they all die. We're talking anywhere between 50 and 99.95% of the population of the Amazon basin died within like 50 to 75 years, just fucking gone. And what happened? 
all that nutrition that have been planted there over the centuries by people. Okay, this was done with human action, carbon planted in the soil by human action over the centuries caused so much nutritional value to be deposited in those soils that the jungle went freaking nuts and it literally drew down so much carbon from the atmosphere that we entered the little ice age. That is one of the main theories. We can't prove it right now and I don't know if we ever can, but all the data suggests that that's exactly what happened. Why we had the little ice age was because of the carbon in the soil that people put there. So when you ask the question, what's my view of anthropogenic carbon and its role in the world? Is it all FUD? It depends on what side of that particular argument you're on. If you're on the side of the argument where we're all going to die because we're burning oil, I think it's bullshit. If we can adjust, can we adjust climate through human action? Then absolutely we can. And we were doing that before electricity. Just look at the Amazon basin. So you go look at that shit. It's pretty cool. God's death with 2222 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Nick underscore dose with 1369 says, cheers. No, cheers. Uh, Axelrod says with 1234, love the show. Becoming my new favorite podcast. Your links and show notes do not work. Yeah, I know, dude. Uh, copy and paste don't work. Uh, I think you fixed the issue. You would get at least my traffic going down the links that you provide in your show notes. Uh, sure, I could log on to your pod through a desktop app, uh, but that is valuable clicks. And as you know, click is time and time is sats. Yeah, okay. And keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks, Axelrod. I, I know. I don't know what's going on with, with Fountain. Um, if you choose to, uh, if you choose to, you know, uh, go, this is why I need a, a website, but um, in either event, I'll figure it out, all right? But I'm, I'm going to need some sponsors first. I, I, I'm just not going to be able to do everything by myself unless I can get some sponsorship to where I'm just like literally working 12 hours a day on, on just this show because it's, there's just doing what I do right now. Yeah. You're sitting there. Yeah. He just sits in front of a mics and read shit. Yeah. There's a little bit more to it than that, but I won't, I won't get into it. I will do what I can, but I can't promise that I'm going to be able to tease those links because fountain app is going to do what fountain app is going to do. Have you, I mean, I love fountain app, but there are other podcasting two point apps out 2.0 apps out there. And some of those will work fine. Okay. I don't know what's going on with fountain right now. It's still my favorite app. It is the one that I use, but I don't normally go to links in anybody else's podcast. So I don't really feel that pain. Um, I provide the links. You can get to it through through my uh, uh, SoundCloud. If you want to go, if, if you're on desktop, and you want to go to SoundCloud. Those links will work. I guarantee it. Um, Monerid with uh, a thousand says, "Thank you, sir, for inspiring me to join the BTC community." Uh, Jim Leahy with three thirty three says, "Do people uh, still like Bitcoin Magazine?" Pies comes back and says, "Not really." I just unfollowed the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. It killed me to do so, but I just reminded myself of how they allowed Celsius to have a booth at Bitcoin 2022. Also, even though I did not go to the conference, the shit show that they allowed the wizards to turn the show into was the final straw. Yeah, that was that was bad. I, I am still going to uh, read Bitcoin Magazine articles. I think the majority of what they try to do is, I think their hearts are in the right place. I don't know why they lit Celsius up there. I don't. 
And the whole thing with the Wizards, I don't know. Nobody's perfect, all right? So I I continuously cut a lot of people a break. I mean, I read some of the shit from Decrypt, for God's sakes. Have you, have you gone through the majority? I mean, I literally have to go through and figure out what's not crap on their website because it's all about NFTs and Celsius and DeFi and yield, and it's just been that way for years. And there's like one or two actual good Bitcoin articles, and those are the ones that I bring you. So I even do that. So I'm not going to abandon a Bitcoin magazine at all. Um, I'm still, I still think that their hearts are in the right place. Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to be the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And good news Russian citizens will not be forced to use the digital ruble. Putin signs law an introduction of digital ruble in Russia. Helen Parts coined Telegraph. Russia is moving forward with its central bank digital currency as Vladimir Putin signed the digital ruble bill into law July the 24th. With this approval, the digital ruble law is officially scheduled to take effect from August the 1st of this year. Article number three, which includes amendments to several Russian federal laws, including those related to bankruptcy and inheritance, is expected to take effect from August of 2024. <clears throat> the new legislation officially empowers the Russian Central Bank to launch the first CBDC pilot with real consumers in August. Previously, the government expected to roll out trials in April in collaboration with 13 local banks, including heavyweights like Spurbank, according to the newly signed law. Russia's central bank will be the principal operator of the digital ruble infrastructure and will hold responsibility for all of the stored assets. The digital ruble is designed to serve as a payment and money transfer method and does not provide for investment purposes. The digital ruble is expected to act as the third form of money alongside cash and non-cash rubles. Russian citizens will not be forced, yet, to use the CBDC, and the use of the digital ruble will be a voluntary choice left up to individuals to decide. Bank of Russia Governor Elvira Nubalina reportedly declared on 24th. She stated, quote, No one is going to force anyone into the digital ruble. But we really hope that it will be more convenient and cheaper for both people and businesses, and they will start using it. This is a new opportunity. End quote. According to the Bank of Russia Deputy Governor Olga, no way I'm pronouncing the last name, the government doesn't expect mass adoption of the digital ruble in Russia before 2025 or even 2027. The news comes soon after Russia's state Duma passed the digital ruble bill in the third and final reading back on July the 11th. The Federation Council subsequently approved the bill July 19th. According to official records, the digital ruble bill was initially registered back in December of 2022. So there you go. Russia going to get the hammer to fall on them. I don't know why these people are trying to do what the West is doing. I I don't get it. Maybe it's because they want to interface more with China. Who knows? But CBDCs are good for nobody. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It's just, it's all, it's all crap. It's all crap. A hash rate, um, so just so that we can keep track of what's been going on with the Bitcoin hash rate and mining. Crypto Potato and uh, Chayanka Deca brings us this one. Bitcoin records 661% hash rate increase in two years. All right, so keep, think about that. 
661% increase in hash rate in two years. We're almost back to 400 exahashes per second right now, and we've got price depression, right? So it, just, it doesn't stop. I just wanted to make sure that, that I brought that to you uh, so that you could realize, hey, no matter what's going on, there are other metrics to look at. And hash rate is a good metric to look at. When we're talking about the health of the network, it doesn't seem unhealthy that a whole bunch of people are thrown into mining. I don't think it's healthy that it's as centralized as it is, but it could be a lot more centralized, and it's not. We have major mining things going on in countries around the world, geographically separated from each other by thousands, thousands of miles, right? Now, that doesn't mean that I'm calling it decentralized because it's not, but it's not overly centralized because it's not. It kind of exists in this nice little, I don't know, like a warm kiddie pool as far as centralization is concerned. I want to see it become more decentralized. And I think the commodification of ASICs for heating purposes and heat harvesting technologies will help that to happen. But it's going to take innovators that are willing to put it on the line to bring that shit to light. So... There's that 661% increase in hash rate in two years. Let not your hearts be troubled. Congressman Warren Davidson calls to ban and criminalize CBDCs. I think he's might be running for president. Everybody else is. Uh, Martin Young, Cointelegraph. United States Republican rep Warren Davidson has spoken out against central bank digital currencies, urging Congress to ban them and criminalize their development. In a July 23rd tweet, Congressman Davidson accused the Federal Reserve of building the financial equivalent of the Death Star, stating that CBDCs corrupt money into a tool for coercion and control, adding, quote, Congress must swiftly ban and then criminalize any effort to design, build, develop, test, or establish a CBDC, end quote. Davidson's comments came in response to a position advertised by San Francisco's Federal Reserve Bank for a senior crypto architect to work on a CBDC project. Responding to a comment from a Twitter user, Davidson argued that money should be a stable store of value and should not be programmable by a central authority. Quote, sound money should facilitate permissionless peer-to-peer transactions, he added. The Federal Reserve has been actively researching the technology for a potential digital dollar, but has not made any decisions on whether to use one or issue one. The possibility of a digital version of the U.S. dollar has stirred controversy in the country and is expected to be a key talking point in the upcoming presidential election. Davidson is also not alone in his concern over a potential Fed-controlled digital dollar. On July the 14th, presidential candidate and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he would nix any central bank digital currency if he became president. In May, DeSantis signed a bill restricting the use of CBDCs in the state of Florida. Republican Tom Emmer has also been vocal in his warnings over state-controlled digital money, saying in March that a programmable CBDC would be easily weaponized. Emmer introduced the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act in February to halt efforts of unelected bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. from stripping Americans of their right to financial privacy. That bill was endorsed by Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who introduced his own CBDC blocking bill in March. 
So who's running for president? Chances are good anybody who in the United States uh, uh, political environment right now that states that CBDC should be illegal and they're a political figure, they are the just a hair's breadth from announcing a run for presidency. Would not surprise me if Warren Davidson uh, started running for president here in the next few weeks. Who knows? Who knows what the hell is going to happen? But yeah, so there you go. Now, for a little bit of FUD and some fun, Nevada woman has been sentenced for hiring a hitman with Bitcoin to kill her ex-husband. Decrypt Andre Bagansky, a Nevada woman who tried to pay a hitman on the dark web with Bitcoin to kill her ex-husband, received a five-year prison sentence on Friday. Christy Lynn Felkins, 38, pleaded guilty in March to the use of interstate commerce facilities in the commission of murder for hire. According to U.S. Department of Justice, she faces a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. So back in 2016, she sent 12 Bitcoin, then worth $5,000, to the administrator of a site on the Tor network called Bisa Mafia, which claimed to offer murder for hire services. The Bitcoin she sent would be worth nearly $360,000 today, according to CoinGecko. For four months in 2016, Felkins exchanged messages with Bessa Mafia website administrator. She provided specific information about how her ex-husband could be found, including his home address, vehicle, and what time he left for work, according to a criminal complaint filed in 2020. Felkins wanted her ex-husband's murder to look like an accident but didn't agree to a $4,000 upcharge. After her payment was sent, the site's administrator said a hitman was assigned and that her husband would be gone within a week. However, no murder took place. Basa Mafia was a scam site and Felkins was never refunded Bitcoin she sent to the website, which is no longer in operation. The Justice Department did not disclose how it became aware of uh, Felkins' actions. Her sentencing on Friday, Felkin's ex-husband, or at her sentencing, Felkin's ex-husband Gabriel Scott of North Carolina said that he was very, very surprised when he learned of the failed plot to murder him, describing Felkin's as a wonderful mother. Oh my God. Felkin's told the Bisa Mafia administrator in 2016 that she was in a position to benefit from her ex-husband's death. I stand to get his retirement our house, and possibly a large life insurance payout, she said, according to the case's complaint. Yet on Friday, Felkin said that she's thankful the person in charge of Bisa Mafia didn't deliver on the agreement. Quote, I'm very glad that no harm came to Gabe. I do thank God every day that the person I talked to was a scam artist. End quote. A similar string sting led to the arrest and imprisonment of a Mississippi woman last year, she paid ten grand in Bitcoin to a purported hitman who turned out to be a federal law enforcement agent. Stop killing other people. <laughs> Seriously, don't do it. You know, like there's like you know all this true crime stuff that exploded because of COVID. You know, like ninety percent of the people that wanted their spouse dead, whether they tried to do it themselves, asked a friend to do it for them, hire a hitman. Do you know what was involved? a life insurance policy, like 95% of these cases. It wasn't because she was, you know, she or he was so pissed off at the other one that they wanted to literally murder them. It was financial gain. That's what we've been reduced to by the legacy financial system over decades and decades, over centuries, in fact. 
is it's it's turned humans into this thing that the only thing that we fucking care about anymore is gobs and gobs and gobs of money 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 is it because all the jobs suck i don't i don't think so i mean i think there's a lot of jobs out there that would be pretty cool but sadly they don't pay you 160,000 dollars a year the only way you get that is to kill yourself in a you know 90 hour work week uh being a lawyer or a brain surgeon you never see your kids. You never see your family. You're a ghost at home when you are home because you're either asleep or you're walking around in a trance. Why? Because you're working 90 hours a week. I don't think that that's healthy. Sure, there's a lot of people that will tell me that I suck because, you know, I didn't go that route. And I don't have I don't have a whole lot of money. In, in a very real way, I'm actually okay with that because I'm not a zombie at home. I'm, I'm here. I can take my kids to school. I can be with my kids. I, t- I took my kids fishing yesterday, in fact. It was Sunday, I, I get it. But we went to this very lovely park off of the Snake River and did some fishing. My 10-year-old son caught his very first fish. In fact, as far as this family is concerned, he's the only one to actually ever catch a fish. I have yet to land a fish on a hook. He did so on his, like, fifth try. It was amazing. It was small. I'm pretty sure it was either like it was either a smallmouth bass or some kind of, you know, something like that. It was very small, right? So we clearly were, you know, threw it back. But he caught a fish. I was happy that I was with him when he caught his fish. Do you think that I'd be able to do that if I was a brain surgeon working 90 hours a week, even if I was getting half a million dollars a year? Would that be worth trading that? I know that there's some people that are like, you're actually more excited about a fish than half a million dollars, and therein lies the difference. What are we becoming? What what have we become? It's just not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. I'm not saying, you know, don't try. And if you want to be a brain surgeon, shit, yeah, bro. That's because you actually want to be the brain surgeon because you're fascinated with the human brain. You know? Maybe you don't take so many surgeries. Maybe you don't take on so many cases. Because most of the time, I think these people are doing that. They're, the 90-hour work week is simply just because of the money where they could say, you know what? I don't, I don't want to work 90. I'll do 50. I'll, I'll do 60. And sure, I'm not going to, you know, maybe I'm not make partner, you know, and if making partner is more important than, you know, other aspects of your life, that that's up to you. I'm not going to poo poo you for it. I'm just saying that, is that really what we want? Is that really what you want? Is it? This is like one of those things where you got to take a really good, long, hard look. Are, are you happy when you spend in the money on your family that you never see? Does that make you feel good? Does it somehow replace the fact that you were gone? You know, it's like, I'm, I'm serious. You know, it just sounds like I'm bitching and lecturing and, and preaching. I'm, I'm not. I'm actually asking a functional question. Is it worth it? Is what we have become worth it? Where 95% of spousal murders are due to an insurance policy or some other form of financial gain. Is that worth it? That's what we become. That is a canary in the coal mine for all the rest of the way that we look at money, how we get it, 
what we use it for. It's a canary in a coal mine. It's a signaling mechanism that should tell you that we're not on the right path. I'm not saying go sell all your shit and stand on a corner in sackcloth and preach the word of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying all of us should take a long, hard look at where we are, why we're into Bitcoin, what, why does it matter, what are we going to have to give up to see it through? Because there's always a trade-off. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes now brought to you by X because they did. I'm, I'm looking at Twitter right now and, and the, the bird is gone. It's, it's the end of an era. Ladies and gentlemen, the blue bird on Twitter has officially been replaced by a Unicode character. That's where we're at. July 24th, 2023 at 1145 AM PDT. Dad says jokes. The police came to my house and asked where I was between three and five. I told them preschool. X marks the spot. This looks bad. This I, it's, I don't even know what I'm looking at at this point. You know, you, you get used to looking at the bluebird on Twitter, even though I've been banned for, I don't know, months and months and months. Um, I still use it to go see, you know, dad says jokes or, or use it to go see somebody else's, you know, Twitter account or what whatnot. But it's just at this point, it's offic- Twitter's officially dead even though it's still twitter.com. I don't know if he's going to change the domain name or not. I would assume so, but this just looks like, this looks bad. I mean, it looks terrible. It's a Unicode character, for God's sakes. He didn't need, shit, get on Fiverr, Elon. Give somebody 10 bucks to do a logo for you. For yeah, At least do that. At least do some kind of proof of work. And maybe if you do, we'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.